0: Turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. God's word is holy. It is the word that transforms our minds and renews our wills through the Holy Spirit, through the power of regeneration. Let's stand and give heed to God's holy word as we read together Nehemiah 9 verses 1 through 6. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law their God for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the lord their god now on the levites platform stood Jeshua, benai kadmiel shadabot bunai shira baya benai and shenei Shinai. and they cried with a loud voice to the lord their god then the levites Jeshua, kadmiel benai Hashabiah, uh, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethaiah said, "Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. O may your glorious name be blessed, and exalt above all blessedness and praise. You alone are the Lord, you have made the heavens. The heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Let us pray. Our blessed God, we ask that you would help us to follow the example of the heavenly host. As they bow down before you, we pray that both heaven and earth would give you the glory and the praise that we would truly honor and bless your holy name. Help us, we pray, to understand in this passage the fruit of true godly sorrow. Lord, help us to grow in our willingness, in our desire, in our love to give you the praise and the worship. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. If you have good soil and the proper amount of water and sunlight, maybe even artificial light if you have a greenhouse, you can produce a fruitful yield. Grains, you can produce fruit and vegetables. In the same fashion, godly sorrow, when it does its work, Produces true praise of God. That should be a fruit of godly sorrow. Another thing that produces praise is a true heart of thanksgiving to God, and we find that in this book, God had delivered His people from their reproach, or they're being made a mockery among the nations, and they're having a a very bad lack of safety with those nations that surrounded them because they were in a city especially those in Jerusalem had many parts of the walls broken down and the gates burned with fire but God through Nehemiah brought uh, a rebuilding of that wall and they had by this time uh, they had the wall repaired (coughs) the gates rebuilt and guards set upon the wall and what do you do when God blesses you out of thanksgiving you praise him Um, We find out in chapter 8 they had this, what I would call, a marathon reading of Holy Scripture. And notice what happened when uh, the people responded to the word of God in Nehemiah 8. They responded with weeping, but then Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites said to them, starting in verse 9, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people and said, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away, to eat, drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Um, They also continued celebrating with a great feast of tabernacles. It says it was a seven-day feast, but then they had a, a day of worship at the beginning of the feast and a day of worship at the end of the feast. It was a total of eight days. So you might say, considering the end of chapter 8 and this exhortation, verses 9 through 12, that if we have an understanding of God's grace, especially uh, this side of the cross, there's no real place for weeping and sorrow over sin. Well, Nehemiah 9 would give uh, such a theory, it would prove such a theory wrong. And Nehemiah 9 we find out that the people were truly grieving for sin again. This time, nobody was stopping them and saying, uh, stop, and instead rejoice, except the call then, mixed with this period of weeping, was to give God the praise. As we look at today's text, the focus is that God wants you to have a true sorrow over sin that leads you to praise Him. Israel's sorrow and our, And our sorrow is the first main point. The second main point is the Levite's praise and ours. So let's look at this first main point, Israel's sorrow and ours. Look at verse one again. "Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting um, in sackcloth and dirt upon them. Notice first that the people of Israel had a really different way of expressing sorrow over sin, didn't they? Some of you may fast when you're grieving over sin, but I don't think there's anybody around here that I know of that puts on sackcloth or a a hair shirt or puts dirt on their head when they're grieving over sin. Um, But it's the case in the Old Testament in many examples. I'm only going to cite two, but there's many examples. first one is at the preaching of Jonah. The people of Nineveh were given the preaching of Jonah from a man who didn't really want to even go there in the first place. And he basically didn't do much but say, God is going to bring judgment upon Nineveh. And this is what happened. Jonah 3.10. Um, the people from the king, even to the, lowest lively stock, uh, to the lowest lively stock, had all fasted and had sackcloth and covering them with ashes, and it says in Jonah 3:10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So the people of Nineveh fasted, had sackcloth laid upon them, even their animals, and put ashes on them instead of dirt, but they put ashes upon themselves. David. When David was grieving over the consequences of sin and he was told that he would lose uh, the child that was born of him in Bathsheba, he grieved. He fasted, and instead of putting dirt on his head, he laid in the dirt, asking God for mercy all night for the sake of that child. But we know that the child died anyway. Sackcloth was something that was made of, uh, according to some reports, made of uh, goat's hair, and the goat's hair would rub against your skin directly. You would wear it directly against your flesh. And it would cause an irritation or just a, a, a dire discomfort by having wearing this what we call goat's hair or hair shirt or sackcloth. It would make a person miserable. You can imagine it would. The only thing I think would be worse than this would be boar's, a boar's hair shirt. But that would probably be cause bleeding. All those, the boar's hair. So, but there's a logical reason, I believe, for this sort of thing. Why they did this. Humans are made up of both body and soul. Or some say a body, soul, or spirit. It's not three. We were made up of two parts. A body and a soul, which some people also call spirit. We're made up of body and soul, or body and spirit. So, when you make the body miserable, in a way, when you're grieving, it sometimes can facilitate the grieving of the spirit. So there's a connection there, and, that, and I believe that is why they had this particular practice. It helps facilitate one's um, feeling, or you could say, of, of repentance. Now, in America, I believe that a lot of Americans, a lot of times myself included, we're, we have a, a tendency to be overindulging in the flesh and how we eat and maybe in the lack of activity. But notice here, there was an Old Testament practice of self-inflicted physical misery. Now you might say, well, we have no place for that, this side of the cross. Well, that's, I have it here in your outline, a very brief passage from First Corinthians nine twenty-seven. Paul says, I discipline, which could be translated, I bruise or or some even translated, I beat my body to make it my slave. He causes his body to submit as a way of bringing forth self-control. In a similar fashion, Jesus said this, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross to follow him. Now, if you take up your cross and deny yourself, it's not just physical self-denial to keep you to follow the Lord God. It's also denying yourself of things that you might want to do that are otherwise um, things that you might desire. Deny yourself, especially in our day of entertainment. Ours is a, a society where we are obsessed with entertainment. We are obsessed with entertaining ourselves with various devices. If you want to grow in holiness, you need to deny yourself sometimes of these things so that you can focus more on the Word of God. Consider especially the physical self-denial of food and and fasting before the Lord if you have a medical condition that allows you to do so. In verse 2, Nehemiah tells us about how the Israelites confessed their sins in addition to this fasting and mourning. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, again, this confession of sin had a great deal to do with this humongous reading of Scripture in chapter 8. They saw what Scripture exposed that they were guilty of sin as were their fathers. Now I put this particular verse here in your outline so it's something to consider. The Ezekiel 18.20 The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity nor will the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. Isn't that interesting? So why would they confess the sins of their fathers? Um, there's a group of scholars who wrote on this, and I believe I love this answer. They wrote, Not only did they read in their recent suffering a punishment of the national apostasy and guilt, in other words, they, they whole, the whole nation was suffering under the hand of oppression from foreign nations because of the guilt and sin of their people, and they were still suffering, But, it goes on to say, but they had made themselves partakers of their father's sins by following the same evil ways. Remember, when they practiced the sin of usury and they were abusing other Jews, taking advantage of other Jews, taking their households, their fields, their possessions, and bringing some of their own people into slavery. What was the rebuke of Nehemiah? Don't you know that it's because of these sorts of sins why our people went into captivity in the first place? And why are you going to do this to your people again? So I agree that when they confess the sins of their fathers, they're also confessing a lot of the same sins which they followed in the same footsteps in doing. Again, this spiritual revival in Judah that the people were coming before the Lord and seeking to confess sin it all had to do with that being rooted in Holy Scripture. Look at verse 3. While they stood in their place, you could say they remained standing because they were standing already earlier, they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord, their God. That's a long reading. A fourth of the day reading Scripture. And if you notice that in early in chapter 8, they read Scripture from the break of dawn until uh, midday. Um, then we find out, later on, at the Feast of Tabernacles, they're reading Scripture every day of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a revival, you could say, that's rooted in Holy Scripture. Again and again, it's the long... Long readings of Holy Scripture is what is given here in this particular book, that they had a great love for God's Word, but also notice that a fourth of the day was spent in worship as well. And we'll look at this praise, this, this Holy Spirit-inspired worship, which follows. As we look at the text more, and we're just going to give you a little preview, verses 5 through 37. 5 through 37 of the text is an extensive prayer, a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer, that is given during this particular worship which lasted a fourth of the day. Reading a fourth of the day, uh, worship before God a fourth of the day, a half of the day, entire day spent on a holy worship service. Let's look next at the Levites' praise and hours. Now, when I say the Levites' praise, I don't mean only the Levites. They were the ones leading in worship. Now the same thing goes here. When I'm the one leading a, a prayer for the congregation, it's not my prayer; it's our prayer. We we pray together. So I guess you could say the Levites leading in praise and our praise. Look at verse five. Then the Levites: Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Hashabneiah, uh, Sherabiah, Hodiah, Shabbaniah. Hethiah said arise bless the Lord your God forever and ever in other words they're saying to the people of Judah you've had time to weep I see that you have godly sorrow that's, that's really demonstrating that you have repentance but now it's time to get up and give him the praise arise and praise the Lord due to his holy name So true sorrow of sin, true repentance, should always lead you to worship God. Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Those who have been saved through the sacrifice of Jesus, it should be your heart's desire to worship Him. Now, consider the early church. In the early church, sometimes the Christians in Rome had to worship in the catacombs, in underground. With the fear, if they ever were caught, that they were taken in captivity, they were tortured, beaten, and sometimes murdered for the sake of the gospel. They were put to death for the sake of the gospel. Yet they still worship the Lord despite all of that threat looming over them. Now, some people today are not willing to undergo the discomfort or the hardship of worshiping the triune God. Many lack a willingness to undergo the self-denial it takes to give God the thanks and the praise. It does take self-denial to deny yourself of what you want to do to come instead and to worship the Lord God who has made heaven and earth. But if you have a godly sorrow leading to repentance in Christ... It should give you a steadfast desire to praise Him. And not forsake your own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more while you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10, 25. Now, what what, let's look, begin looking at this prayer. The prayer begins at the middle of verse 5. And I believe it follows at least the beginning of this acronym that is very popular, a biblical acronym on how to pray. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. You notice they begin with adoration. They gave God the praise and the glory of his glorious holy name. Second half of verse 5. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. Now why do we say that we bless God's name or praise God's name? We praise God's name because God himself is holy. His name is holy because he is holy. Unlike the world, you don't want to mix the name of God with curse words, with causing dam- calling upon damnation, upon this, that, and the other thing, or, again, mis- mixing it with profanity. Instead, you are to grow in a holy use of not only his name, but his attributes. In other words, you don't When you're upset, you don't call something holy, um, holy garbage or whatever. Instead, you are to bless God's name, bless his holy name, that your life is to bless the glorious name that is exalted above all blessing and praise. Now notice the Levites, again, leading in worship. In in verse 6, they praise God as creator as well. Look at verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Now, I believe a lot of people in America and throughout the world don't give God the praise and don't seek his face in worship because they have believed a lie from the pit of hell, from the devil himself, that God didn't create all of what we see. It evolved by accident, by the Big Bang, and then by this really long, random process of evolution. Now, some might argue and say, it it doesn't matter if somebody believes in evolution or not, as long as they believe in the Holy Gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for them, they can be saved. Now, there are people... I truly believe that can be saved and still believe in theistic evolution. However, millions, if not billions, have been lost and gone to the pit of hell because the theory, again, it's not the truth, it's not the science, but it's the theory of evolution, the lie of evolution, has deceived them that you can't trust what's written in this holy scripture. Now, here's, here's some logical reasons, and I believe it's, it's a huge stumbling block for the church and for many outside the church that keep them out of the church. So you, you say, if God's Word can't be trusted in Genesis, well, how can you trust it in the New Testament when what it says about Jesus? Well, how can you trust anything that the Bible says if, you can't, if, the, God, if the Word of God cannot be trusted? Genesis, I believe, is absolutely foundational. It's not a supplement to the Holy Scriptures. It is the foundation. Jesus Christ speaks of Genesis and of the marriage in the beginning with speaking of it as having authority. It had authority when in, in the preaching of Christ. It should have authority in our church. It should have authority in our preaching as well. How can you trust what this book says about the second Adam, if you don't believe what it says, about the first Adam. So not only did God make the earth and the seas, though, he made all things, including the host of heaven. That's another name for the, the angels, the armies of heaven, the angel armies of heaven. A heavenly host is an army of angels, according to the Holy Scripture. And what do they do in glory? It says here, the Levite said, The heavenly host bows down before you, O God. If they bow down before the Lord God, shouldn't we bow down before the Lord God? If we knew of the glory of God, we would be more ready to truly bow down and give Him the praise. God wants you to have a true sorrow over sin a sorrow over sin that produces repentance and a sorrow over sin that produces salvation, namely justification I want us to look at the hymnal um, 337 it's a, a hymn written by Johann Hermann and it's entitled Ah Holy Jesus look at 337 in your hymnal I want us to read stanzas 1 and 2. Ah, holy Jesus, how hast thou offended that man to judge thee hath in hate pretended, by foes derided, by thine own rejected, O most afflicted. Who was the guilty who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus, hath undone thee. T'was I, Lord Jesus. I, it was, denied thee. I crucified thee. Now, we didn't drive the nails into his hands and feet. We didn't pierce his side with a spear. But it was our sin. It was because of our sin that he was pierced for our transgressions. And yes, it's true There's a free offer of the Holy Gospel. It it doesn't cost you anything. You just believe upon Christ and you shall be saved. You don't have to bring money. It's a free gift of God's grace. But notice the cost that it cost to Jesus. He was betrayed, he was denied, he was given up by his own, rejected by his own. More so, he was rejected by the Father. When Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you rejected me? He was saying that because God had turned his back upon him because he could not look upon his own son because his son bore our sins. He became a curse for us so that we would be born again through faith in him. But notice, if you believe all these things, notice the fruit of what should follow in such a faith. Therefore, Kind Jesus, since I cannot pay thee, I do adore thee and will ever pray thee or pray to thee. Think on thy pity and thy love unswerving, not my deserving. So if we're thankful for what Christ has done for us, what does it produce? An adoring of God in praise true sorrow should result in a, a spirit-filled adoration of God. We notice that is, was Israel's sorrow over sin, but it's also our sorrow over sin that produces such praise. Now when the Levites were leading in such praise to God, notice that they gave the people time to weep. But then they told them, to stand up and give praise to the Lord, to arise and give praise to the Lord, and to exalt His blessed name, exalt Him as creator of the heavens and the earth, exalt Him as the one who has created the heaven of heavens. But also the angels of heaven, the host of heaven, worships and bow down to the Lord God. Shouldn't you also bow down and worship to the Lord? Now my question is this, if you have a godly sorrow for sin, does it produce in you a desire to worship? If you've come to understand the doctrine of justification, how you're made right with God through the Holy Gospel, through that sorrow over sin, if you have no desire to worship the Lord of glory, you need to ask whether or not God has really done that work in you. If not, Ask God. Say, God, give me a true, new, living heart. Take out this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh that I would really desire to truly love and serve and worship You, the King of Glory. Let's pray together. Oh Father, I pray that You would forgive us of our many sins. Forgive us. That so often that we do not desire to worship you as we ought, we pray that you would renew a steadfast heart, a steadfast faith within us, that we would seek to, to love and serve and worship you, the King of Glory. Work in us, we pray that you would help us to bow down our hearts, our even our lives before you, that we would bless and exalt you, to give you the blessing and the praise. That is, do your holy name. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do so in spirit and in truth as we seek to exalt your name for what you have done for us in Christ. For we ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. For our psalm of dedication, let's stand together and we're going to sing 65A. Praise waits for you in Zion. Let's stand and sing 65A.